have a special guest speaker, and I'm just getting to know uh, Josh and his wife, and uh, we're really excited to have you guys here. Uh, Josh McDonald, not McDonald, McDonald, right, is from, uh, well, he's, he's originally from, him, him and his wife are from Michigan, but he is at Kansas City, been there for 10 years at the International House of Prayer, and uh, the reason this has all come about is because uh, Caleb uh, met Josh when he was at International House of Prayer, mentioned him to me. We've been on the phone, and I'm really excited about the message that God's put on his heart to bring. Really fits in line with what we've been doing these last couple of weeks about just the presence of God and how much we need, we need the presence of God in our lives. And so I want, I want you to welcome Josh McDonald. Come on up, Josh. I'm going to hand it over to you, buddy. Go get him. Thank you. All right. How are you guys doing? Okay, well, I'm just going to pray and jump right in. So give me, I want to I honor the time. So what, what did I got here? It's 940. So what do we, what do we got to? Sorry, I forgot. 1030. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, Lord, we just bless you. <clears throat> we honor you and we thank you for all that you're doing in the state of Michigan and all that you're doing with churches around this region. And we just put our bullseye on this church this morning and this city, and we ask you for visitation. We ask you for encounter, God. We want to see your face. So we just say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll just take like two minutes and introduce my family. Well, my, my kids aren't with us this morning, but this is my wife Landry right here. We've been married for eight and a half years. And um, so, so we have two kids. My son, Nehemiah, will be eight in December, and my daughter's going to turn five in about a month. And so we are, uh, it's been a wild ride. We got married when we were nine. She was 19, and I was 21. And she was, we got married, got pregnant right away. So she was pregnant, married with our first son at 19 years old. And, and um, it's just been a wild ride. And so we are a part of a ministry called the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Some might know it for short as IHOP. And uh, what the backbone of what we do in Kansas City is we have a prayer room that has been going night and day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 20 years. This September, we celebrate 20 years of night and day prayer. We have 30 worship teams that rotate around the clock every two hours. And so there's not a second in Kansas City where there's silence in, in the atmosphere, and it's just really cool to see what the Lord's doing. And we believe that the Lord is raising this up all over the earth, that he's changing uh, what it means to follow the Lord. He's changing the idea of Christianity, and that our primary focus in all of our lives is that we're first priests. You are first called to be a priest, not a preacher, not a teacher, not an equipper, not a whatever the things that we do. We are first called to be priests. And I believe that the Lord is using ministries like IHOP and other things around the world to refocus ourselves that the reason why we gather and the reason why we're alive is to actually minister to him, not to people. Ministering to people comes second. And see, we think we get saved so that we can reach the lost. That's what it's all about. We actually get saved to minister to him that Jesus would receive his inheritance on the earth. And, and, and the dilemma of the American church is, is we're fulfilling our inheritances while yet we're forgetting that he has an inheritance in his heart that he wants for the earth and that there's still a whole storyline to be unfolded. And, and um, I'm just excited to be a part of that storyline. 
And you know, there's, you know, there's over 150 chapters in the Bible that address what is yet to still come. Did you know that? That's more than all the Gospels combined. 150 chapters in the Bible to talk about what is still to happen. <laughs> and the storyline that you and I are a part of is not some historical thing that, owned, that happened 2,000 years ago, and now we're trying to figure it out. Jesus is alive in heaven right now. Hebrews 4 says that he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession. We have a high priest named Jesus who right now is actively giving his entire life to intercession, and he's coming back. And there's a whole storyline to still be unfolded that we find ourselves right in the dead smack center of, and it's an incredible thing. And so, anyways, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to be alive at this time of history. It's just so cool. It's so exciting. So, anyways, that's a little bit about us. We've been doing this for 10 years. We, it's been a wild ride. We are, technically, we're missionaries to America, and uh, we raise our own support. It's been a wild journey, and it's just been super fun. And um, we're seeing the Lord do this all over the world. He's raising up house of prayers and people that are just going after it. So, hallelujah. Well, I want to talk to you guys this morning about capacity. This is something that's been burning in my heart for the last 10 years, to be honest. But specifically, in the last eight months, there's just been this reality of, oh, I love, look at this. <laughs> Did you guys make that just for my message? I sent, I sent notes to pastor. I don't know if we'll get to the notes, but the notes are a good little scriptural outline to kind of have you guys feast after some stuff after I'm done, because I really got a small amount of time with you. But I've just been getting so gripped. Back in October, the Lord personally invited me into a long extended season of fasting. And that six, seven, eight month uh, fast that I did really brought me into this place of there was a shift that took place in my heart of understanding why we live set apart in consecrated lives. So depending on you know, church language or whatever, some people call it consecration, some people call it holiness, some people call it being set apart, whatever you want to call it. And something began to transcribe in my heart during this, this, this long fast I just came off of. And I'm not trying to boast about fasting. I'm just, you know, I'm just having, the, it was a corporate fast. A lot of people were doing it with me. But we came off of this fast and I began to have an awareness of the activity of the Lord in a way that I don't know that I've ever had in my walk with the Lord ever. And what began to happen inside of me was I began to connect the dots that living a life of holiness, living a life of consecration, living a life set apart, is everything to do with us creating capacity to be able to feel and experience and contain all that's available. And I want to lay a quick foundation before we get started that I hope this will, that this will be filtered through. Because if you're an orphan and you deal with the orphan spirit and you don't have acceptance that God is smiling over your life, that you're accepted in his heart, what happens is, is you can approach all the disciplines of the Lord thinking that by your disciplines that it makes God smile bigger. And all of a sudden, when God was sitting right here, the more disciplined and consecrated you get, it makes him turn closer and start looking at you. Okay? That's a bad trap to get in because you'll find yourself in a swirl of trying to gain acceptance from the Lord. And then when you screw up, then what? <laughs> so holiness is not about us trying to get God pleased with us. Consecration is not about trying to make God turn from his rocker. You know, he's up in heaven somewhere sitting on this rocking chair. And 
as long as you're not acting like a good Christian, he's over on the other side of the room waiting for you to show up and be good. <laughs> but what concept, but so, so that, that's how an orphan thinks. But what, the way that sons and daughters think that are, that are resting in his acceptance, what we begin to realize is that the Father has, is living, well, the Holy Spirit's living inside of me and that his attention has been turned on me all along. But through my just stupid life choices, I just talked plain to you guys, but because of my stupid life choices that I make, it actually hinders my ability to actually be able to feel, experience, and contain that which what the Lord is wanting to pour out. The Lord's not holding back necessarily. He's sitting alongside of us, and he's been waiting all along. And so as we begin to live this life of God, I want to create a capacity to be able to feel and experience all that's available in the kingdom. Is this making sense? This isn't about gaining his approval, but what it's about is it's about you becoming self-aware of the different things that we put in our life on a weekly basis that inevitably cause our spirit man to get dulled out and our flesh to be heightened. In Galatians 6, it says, what happens if you sow into the spirit or into the flesh? You reap the flesh, you reap destruction. But if you sow into the spirit, what happens? You reap spiritual things. And when I begin on this last, and I mean, you know, it's not like I'm just now, you know, <laughs> doing this, but in the last eight months, there's been a heightened awareness through a just real intense discipline season I went through for about six or seven months or whatever it was. There's a, there was an awareness of his presence in a realm of encounter that I begin to steward. And what it did was, is it produced an ache in my heart to say, God, I do not, I don't want to do anything that's gonna hinder or quench this moment with you right now. And I wait in a month long fast turned to a two month fast, and a two month fast turned to four, and a four month fast turned to seven. And it wasn't because, oh wow, Josh, that's pretty crazy. You must be really holy. What began to happen was is the Lord was allowing me to taste some things. And as my capacity was growing, I found myself in a daily ache in my heart that when his when his word, when I'd be reading the word, and all of a sudden I would start crying reading my Bible, and, and his presence was washing over me, and he began to encounter us almost nightly. I was, I was nightly going to bed and having prophetic dreams, and it just became this lifestyle of anticipation, and as it was growing deeper, my capacity was growing to be able to feel and experience things, and it was creating this ache in my heart saying, I don't want to do anything that would quench these moments with you. Does this make sense? And when you do do dumb things that quench the moment, what doesn't happen is God goes, oh, there he's being dumb again. He just, I'm going to go over here for a season, and when you feel like being holy again, I'll come and visit with you. That's not what it's about. But you have been given Holy Spirit, and you have a responsibility, every person in this room, to host and contain realms of this glory. Is this making sense? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays what? That we would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. All throughout the New Testament, we see these apostolic prayers being prayed where the theme of the prayer is not God help me, God my life is full of drama, God, not saying we shouldn't bring those things before the Lord, but we found a greater ache throughout the Bible, and it was the, it was the, the apostles, it was Jesus. We're going to get to Jesus' prayer in John 17 here in a minute, 
where they were, they were crying out for the saints to be able to know and behold the glory of God. That they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I don't see much of the American church having an ache to be fascinated with God. Our sermons are crazy, super relevant. And I'm telling you, if you want to be relevant and actually have a life of transformation, you have to get fascinated by the man who's outside of this realm. And as long as we're preaching fleshly messages to help us through our current battles of life, and there's moments for that, and there's pastoral times where you need to figure out how to walk out of life, duh, we get that. My wife and I are going through some gnarly stuff right now that brings real anxiety and whatever, whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, little tools to get through your day is not a transformed life. We have to learn to ascend above the, of life storms, and we have to get caught up in something bigger. We have to get caught up in something bigger, and we've got to look up, and we've got to begin to create a lifestyle of capacity that can really contain the realms of glory that God has wanted to pour out. And that capacity will continue to grow. It will continue to grow. It will continue to grow. Is this making sense? Set your eyes on things above, Colossians says, where Christ dwells. And so much of our swirl in life is because we fail to learn how to ascend above, the, above life storms. We don't even know what that looks like. We're, we're, we're stuck in a cycle of our prayer list, asking God to fulfill stuff on the earth, and that's fine, and we should, and we need, you know, we need breakthrough on things. There's financial needs. There's things, yes. But I find that so much of our striving and trying to get breakthrough in our areas is because of a lack of being seated at a higher dimension. When Jesus is aching, his heart was, pray this way in Matthew 6, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. I find it interesting that in a wild time of history, when the gospel was being persecuted more than any other time in history, when Jesus was alive, I mean, they killed the dude over this thing. That the disciples did not ask Jesus to take them to Bible school. He did not. The disciples, at the end of the day, what they wanted was his prayer life. They did not say, Jesus, teach me to preach. They did not say, Jesus, teach me how to do anything else. What they were most provoked by was his prayer life. And we live in a generation that runs and celebrates the life of evangelists that see signs and wonders. But yet, when was the last time a life of a man who gave a whole life to the secret place? That doesn't look successful. That doesn't look popular. But yet, we, we have a whole generation that runs the testimonies of, and I love that stuff. Some of these guys are my friends. I'm about signs and wonders. I'm about city transformation. I'm about salvation. But we get googly-eyed over the stuff. But yet, when was the last time you were googly-eyed over the guy that shows up at the 6 a.m. prayer meeting? My generation has to get delivered from the enticement called American Christianity. And we have got to descend above. And we've got to get fascinated with Jesus. The man that we can't get out of, we set our alarms for 5.30 a.m. and hit the snooze on our prayer time. <laughs> it's because of a lack of capacity. It's a lack of capacity, and I'm telling you guys, we are living in a generation unlike any other generation. And it's not just my age group, because even if you're in this room and you're way beyond my age group, you still are living in a society that's bringing challenges unlike any other time before. The Facebook Instagram world is fighting for our attention and it's fighting to keep us disconnected from the spirit 
And that is the enemy's ultimate goal. The enemy's ultimate goal is to derail you and get you disconnected from your father. And sometimes the enemy can actually raise you up in ministry and get you busy doing the work of God and get you disconnected with the father. He's tricky. He's sneaky. It's easy to attribute the devil to drugs and alcohol and promiscuity and abortion. And it's, it's easy to attribute the works of the devil to that. But I think the enemy gets in even deeper because he knows he can't touch you. He knows you're walking with the Lord. He knows you've been saved. He knows you've been set apart. So he's going to get in there and get you busy, get you distracted, and get you unfascinated with the man. And you'll be busy fulfilling all of these things. And when you stand before the Lord, he's going to ask you one question. He's going to ask you, did you fulfill the first commandment? Did you love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? And my passion of my life is to see my job. I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm 30 years old. The passion of my life is to actually sit a bunch of young, driven 25-year-olds who think they have a voice and actually get them lost in a secret place and get actual real encounters with the Lord because what my generation does not need is another gifted communicator. We have such a lack of capacity in the American church that we don't know the difference between anointing and gifted charisma. You can, if you are good looking, a good communicator, and have a little bit of Bible, you can grow a very big church in America. Easy as that. Good communication skills, figure out how to make it cool and relatable, throw just enough scripture in there to make it a teaching about God. And we have no idea the difference between that and people that have actually paid a real price in secret when no one was watching, that have actually given themselves to the most un-American thing you can do, and that's sit down, shut up, and be quiet and hear the voice of the Father. There's nothing more un-American than to sit down, be quiet, and spend enough time to break through your boredom, <laughs> break through your boredom, break through all your things that you think it means to follow the Lord. When was the last time you sat down with God without a worship song on? When was the last time you woke up in the morning and didn't put your favorite worship album on and still were able to connect with the Father? Do you see what I'm talking about? The Lord wants to get us delivered from all the hype. All of the, you know, you can be the most expressive looking, charismatic, expressive worship, and we don't know the difference between expressiveness and passion and charisma than actual is God really in the room because it can look really powerful. The music can be incredible. Everyone looks like they're worshiping God, but let me see your life Monday through Friday, and we'll find out the difference because I think we have a generation that worships worship. <laughs> I miss this too much. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'm serious. We have to get past all of our religiosity, and we've got to get to the rawness of our heart and ask the real question, are we truly becoming containers that can rest in God's glory without pull away all the things because this is what the world needs. The world does not need another strategy to figure out how to relate to them better. The world is really hurting, really messed up, and really broken, and they actually want to see something that is so opposite of the way that they're living. What I'm not saying is you can't be a part of the culture. I'm not saying don't go hang out at the places where people, I'm not saying don't do that. But what I'm saying is, is we have got to become people that are, you know, there's, there's, there's this old saying, I, I, I don't, I want to be so, I don't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. 
That is the funniest statement in the world. I want to be so heavenly minded that I'm so unrelatable to the world that when the world actually is at the end of themselves and my neighbor who's done with life, the guy that they couldn't relate to is the one now that they want to come to because they know this guy's walking in something in a different world in a mind frame than I'm walking in. But you can't get there until we really start getting to the end of ourselves and saying, God, I have got to figure out how to connect with you. I've got to figure out how to truly begin to have daily bread from you. And as you begin to touch that, all of a sudden, the disciplines and the consecrations start getting deeper and they start getting thicker because you start creating a lifestyle of saying, I want to do whatever it takes to be able to feel and host and experience all that God has for me. And John 17 is one of the most craziest chapters in the whole Bible. It's, it's, it's historically known as the high priestly prayer. Is this making sense? The high priestly prayer, and it's an entire chapter. It's all read, and it's a conversation between God and God. <laughs> Let that one blow your mind. That Jesus, who is God, is having a conversation with God the Father at his greatest hour of darkness, his greatest hour of trial, his greatest hour. How many of you know your prayers get real when life really hits the fan? <laughs> all of the language we use in church services changes when you're at home and all hell has just broken loose. When you found out that your spouse is having an affair. When you found out that whatever, just picture the worst thing. And some of you in this room have been in that season. You've been in that hard season. And you know your prayers changed, didn't they? Because you got to the end of your religion. You got to the end of all your language. You got to the end of all of your Bible scriptures that you think you know. And when the life really hits the fan, what really is in here comes out. And that's what the Lord's wanting. And we see in John 17 the most beautiful thing. That in Jesus is just about to be betrayed. And he knows it. <laughs> he, was, he was born for this moment. But yet we know that he lived as a man. We know that the scriptures say that he's been tempted at every measure. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness. He's been tempted at every measure, yet without sin. We know these things about him. And so we know, we know that he actually asked the Father to pass the cup if he would. God, if you would allow this to actually... I mean, that is staggering that is just that Jesus felt such a weight pressing down on him and in that moment a cry comes out of his heart and towards the end of John 17 we see this unbelievable prayer he says father I desire that they would be with me where I am that they would behold my glory at the end of Jesus' life, at his greatest hour of trial, right before betrayal, the greatest pain that comes out of his heart was that, that the people that he had been running, he says this, I don't pray for the world. He says that word for word in John 17. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that have ran with me in this season. And God, in this moment and this time, if there's one last thing that I could have fulfilled in my life before I, years later, I'm going to come back and do all that I'm going to do. But in this moment, God, if there's one thing that these people could grab a hold of, let it be that they would be able to behold my glory. That was the greatest 
That today is Jesus' greatest desire for each and every one of you in this room, that you would be able to behold his glory. That settles so much anxiety. That settles so much in the swirl. Well, what am I called to do? I don't fully know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. What am I called to do? What job am I supposed to have? I just feel stuck. I just feel da 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 When you begin to live a lifestyle of saying, my whole purpose of my life is to live a life that can contain his glory, I'm telling you that your life assignments will just fall into place. Because the problem is we make an idol out of our callings, and realistically, the idol of our calling is a thing that we want to be doing. (laughs) And the Lord wants to break all those bubbles, and he says, first of all, I want you to behold my glory. And what happens is when you behold his glory, it makes you handle seasons of life much differently. Because you know what? Not everybody in this room is going to have a super awesome American dream lifestyle. But if you get lost in Jesus, those enticements will start to disappear. And I'm telling you, the enemy is fighting for our attention. I was with, um, there's a guy named Robbie Zacharias. I was with one of his guys, uh, one of his, his leaders recently in Austin, Texas, and we were having coffee at a coffee shop. And he made a staggering statement to me. We were, we were in a dialogue about this very converse, this, this very thing. So I was about to preach this message, and we were just processing it together, and he made this profound statement to me, and I'm going to round the number down because it was just, the number he gave me was almost hard to believe, but these, these, these Robbie Zacharias guys are sharp, you know? <laughs> they know their stuff. But he said that the average person sees roughly 2,000 advertisements a day. A day. Commercials, Facebook, Instagram, billboards on the highway, signs out the side of the gas station, whatever, and it's pulling for our attention saying, you need that car you need that face product. You need this weight loss program. You, and, it's, and everything is fighting for our attention everywhere we go. And Jesus said, narrow is the path to the kingdom, and there's very few who will find it. And I'm telling you that there are realms in the Lord to be discovered that our addiction to sitcoms and our addiction to Netflix series are completely quenching. Can I just get raw and honest can we, I, let's just not be like theoretical language and give you some tools to walk away with today. Let's just get real and raw. If you evaluate your 18-hour days that we all, we all roughly are up about 18 hours a day, maybe a, little, maybe a little less. We all live about an 18-hour day. And in our 18-hour day, if you were to break down, okay, I woke up at 6 a.m. and I went to bed at 9, and you were to break down the hour by hour of your day, evaluate it, and then wonder why we have a hard time reading our Bibles. And wonder why we have a hard time entering into his presence. When wonder why, it's because for so long we have, we have ran to everything else when we hit our wall of boredom. We sit on Instagram and we scroll and we scroll and we scroll. That's my generation. We sit on Facebook and we scroll and we scroll and we scroll and we get addicted to movies. We get addicted to all of these things and our eye gate gets defiled, our ear gate gets defiled and when God is calling us to see but we can't see because we've been looking somewhere else for way too long. 
and he's asking us to hear, but we can't hear because we have Fox News and CNN on 24-7, and the music that we listen to has nothing to do with glorifying the Lord. I'm not trying to be this legalistic preacher. I'm talking about who is this man that we're trying to connect to, and what are the things that day in and day out we're giving ourselves to, and then we're, and then we're asking our pastor for prayer at the end of the week. Pastor, pray for me. It's been rough. Well, let me get your schedule out. Let me see what your eye gate's been doing. In Psalm 132, David has a, it says, oh Lord, remember David. And it says that he would not give rest. He would not give himself rest. He would not give sleep to his eyes nor slumber till his eyelids until he found a dwelling place for the Lord. My, I'm like, where are those people at? That are saying, God, I will not sleep. I will not find rest, and I will not say that my life is all good unless if there is a dwelling place that's been created in my atmosphere. I am not going to sell out for a good job and a nice car and a beautiful home and say, man, this is it. And I, you should want a nice house, and you should want a nice car, and you should want to provide a great you know, thing for your family. So don't hear me wrong here. But there was something in David's heart where he was like, God... I'm not, I can't rest unless if you're at rest in my life. I can't rest unless my living room, my car, that everywhere I go, that you found a man that you can rest on and you can say, those are my dwelling places. And I know, hypothetically, I, I, I get it. We all have Holy Spirit since we got saved. But anyone in this room who's been walking with the Lord for more than two years, you know that it's not, as, it's not as just a one-time seal it, deal it, got Holy Spirit, let's move on with life. No, there is a lifestyle to be contained where the glory of God crashes into your living room, where your four-year-old is having encounters and visitations from Jesus, where my eight-year-old son is having Jesus visiting him in the middle of the night face-to-face and he's hearing his voice. Because my wife and I have chosen to live a lifestyle that's created an inheritance for my children. And, and, and you guys know what I'm talking about. You start going to bed at night and you're excited to lay your head down on your pillow because you know God's going to write a storyline. Because you start containing his glory and it's not even just what you're doing with your 18 hours. It's then the way you position yourself before you go to sleep. And now in your night, God's encountering you with dreams. And now you're waking up at five in the morning and you're blown away because of the dream you just had. And now you're writing your dream down. And now the whole day, your whole day has started. I'm not saying it has to be that way every night. But you start living in this perpetual realm where the more that you drive out the lusts of the flesh, the more you begin to experience that which is available and all of a sudden your drives turn into your prayer room you start going to bed an hour earlier so that you can meet with him in the morning before you go to work your car rides start becoming a prayer room your lunchtime starts becoming a house of prayer and all of a sudden you start you actually get to a place where you are so addicted to touching him that you're looking for every moment possible to stop what you're doing and to descend above life circumstances who, Psalm 24, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? This whole thing is about ascension. That you can walk around Montrose, Michigan, living up here. Living with heaven's perspective. And then bringing its answers to the earth. Bringing its resources to the earth. But who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Psalm 24. He who has clean hands. That means you got to use... Hand sanitizer every day. No, I'm kidding. He who, what is it talking about? You're not doing sinful things with your hands. <laughs> he who has 
Clean hands, a pure heart. How do you get a pure heart? You guard yourself. You don't let toxins into your eyes that then filter into your soul and in your heart. You forgive people quickly. You guys know what it means to take care of your heart. It's a long process. It's the hardest one. <laughs> and we're getting there. No one's arrived. We're all, we're all day by day working it out. But then the third one, clean hands, pure hearts. And the ESV says, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehoods. Usually, you know, New King James, whatever, says, you know, idols, which is good. But ESV brings it a little bit more 2019. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehoods. That one gets us. Well, what does that mean? It means giving your attention, your ears, and your emotions to things that are false. And there's balance. I get it. Am I saying you can't watch sports? No. Am I saying you can't go see the new Lego movie with your kids? No. Am I, am I, you know, can you not go see the new whatever? No. I think there's some moral codes that we as believers should live by, and you should know what those things are, you know? <laughs> so no, don't get me wrong. We can have fun. But if we're living this lifestyle where we're lifting up our soul to falsehoods, it's sowing ideologies into our mind nonstop, 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 nonstop through the music we watch, through the movies we watch. What's the storyline? What's the message? And, and are you, how often are you just giving your time to those things? I'm telling you that this stuff matters beyond anything. I'm going to end with this. This is why fasting, in my opinion, fasting is the greatest way to create capacity. I believe it's the greatest way to create capacity. And we as a church have got to get caught up in the beauty of Jesus that will propel us to want to live a lifestyle of fasting. Because for the most part, this is what... I rarely ever in my life meet a believer who doesn't think fasting is important. Everyone knows for some reason it's important, unless if you're like way out... False grace, something. You know, you're way out in some progressive theology stuff. But most of us, right, is there anyone in this room? I mean, don't, don't raise your hand, but everyone in this room, you can agree with me. Yeah, fasting is a good thing. And I'm not going to do a show of hands, but if I were to do a show of hands right now in this room of everyone here knows that fasting is important, but if, you, but if I were to do a show of hands, how many of you live a lifestyle of fasting on a regular basis, the hands would be slim. And here's why. Because we don't really get it. We know, and what ends up happening is, is fasting becomes the, tw the annual January 21-day rallying point where we have our laundry list of things we want breakthrough for, and we're praying for the church's budget, and we're doing all these things, which are good things. Every one of you in this room, if, if pastor calls a 21-day corporate fast, you should jump in because there's so much power in fasting with a corporate community and believing for a breakthrough in something. But Matthew 9, Jesus gives us insight into fasting. Because fasting actually really isn't much talked about in the Bible at all, like at all. But yet it's a thing that's been carried down 2,019 years later that everyone knows we should do. We just don't know why. We have stories of people that fast in the Bible, but there really is no teaching on fasting in the Bible, hardly at all. But in Matthew 9, Jesus says something so profound. John's disciples come to Jesus in Matthew 9, and they say, Jesus why do the Pharisees fast, but you guys don't? That's a great question. <laughs> That's a great question of the hour. Because John's disciples, were, 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 they wanted to know. They wanted to know. Why? I don't get it. Like, 
this is the one, the Messiah, this is the one that John the Baptist told us about. This is the one. This is the guy that John had been in the wilderness raving about forever, <laughs> you know. And they don't fast. Well, I don't get it. And Jesus makes this profound statement. He said, why would the friends of the bridegroom mourn when the bridegroom is with them? What is he ta- What does that mean? That's kind of a puzzling statement. Why would the friends of the bridegroom mourn when the bridegroom is with him? But there will be a day coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. Then they will mourn. Then they will fast. What is he talking about? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, huh? I don't fully get it, Jesus. What are you saying? What he's saying is the bridegroom is here. I'm tangible. I'm present. This is the most unique time of human history that will never happen again until the end. That there's a three-year period of time where I've revealed myself as Messiah, and I'm right here, I'm tangible, I'm in the flesh, and my friends sit around a literal, physical dinner table with me every night, and they can ask me any question they want. They can touch my skin. They know everything about me. They know the way I smell. I'm here. I'm present. I'm in the flesh. For the only time in human history, there will be a people that can connect to me by flesh. Only one generation ever. And it's this three-year window right now. But there's going to be a day coming when I'm going to be taken away. And the pain and the ache that is going to be in their heart when I disappear and I'm not coming back. Well, in their lifetime, I'm not coming back. The dots are going to connect and there's going to be an ache in their heart and they're going to go, we miss this guy. I mean, can you imagine Three years with Jesus. Can you, can you imagine this storyline? Everything that they saw, but it still wasn't clicking fully because they all deny him. <laughs> you know, it, it, It's clicking, but Jesus is like, it's clicking. But hey, Peter, I appreciate your zeal. You're going to be the first one. A little girl, a three-year-old, a popsicle in her hand is going to ask if you know me, and you're going to take off running. <laughs> you don't quite get it yet. <laughs> But then we know what happens. The tomb, he's not there. And there Jesus comes walking alongside of them. He's, a, he's back with them for a moment. He's giving them their final instructions. And whew, he's gone. And they're in this moment going, where'd he go? And they were human. And they have a history of being kind of dumb. So I, don't think that so I don't think that their response was like, this was the moment he told us. All right, everyone up to the upper room. We're going to go contend. It probably took a little minute. You know, they're like, okay, he's probably going to do some goofy Jesus trick and show up on the water later. You know, (laughs) you know, he was so witty. He was doing all these goofy stuff all the time. He's going to randomly show up. You know, he'll be back. Day two. Where's Jesus at? Day three. Oh, man. Like, what were the last things he told us? Right, these are humans here. Like, half of them probably forgot what he said. You know, like, one guy fell asleep. You know, he's tired. And, you know, and they're like, wait, what are the, you know, and day six, day seven, day eight, ten, two weeks, three weeks go by. And now there's an ache hitting their heart. I've missed this guy. I missed this guy. He's really not coming back. I can't lay my head on his chest like I just could a couple of weeks ago. I can't just run to him when I'm feeling anxiety, when I'm anxious, and, I'm, and, I, and the whole world, and the, the, the Pharisees down the street are about to chop all of our heads off. 
Um, life is mounting up against me, and I can't just go and go sit down next to him as a good father and just ask him questions and have that tender voice wash over me like we used to. Remember those days, John? Remember those days, James? What are we going to do? He said that there would be a day coming when, I'd be take, when he'd be taken away and we would mourn. Oh, man. Now we got to learn how to connect to this guy by the Spirit. Then they will fast. And there was a connection that hit where they begin to realize we've got to change everything because it's not as easy as driving up to the gas station and going and talking to him. <laughs> it's not as easy as going to Pastor Tim's office and getting some wisdom. He's gone, but now he breathed on us. Oh, yeah, he breathed on us. That's right. Remember, he went and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that conversation he had with John's disciples? Then they would fast. Oh, and they're start, the dots are starting to connect, and they're realizing we've got a whole new realm to walk out now. We've got to fight for that same level of connectivity, but it ain't going to be done by the flesh. It's got to be done by the Spirit. Whew. Right? I'm, I said I was going to end, but I'm going to end <laughs> in just a second. We see some of these realities where Jesus shows up and God shows up in these, in these whirlwinds and in these moments that blows people's mind and it changes their entire perspective because they didn't truly see who he was. We know the story of Job. It's gnarly. <laughs> it's hardcore. Job gets it handed to him. Satan asks the Lord. The Lord gives him permission. It's a wild storyline. And the dude gets his life tore up. His physical infirmities were so disgusting and so bad that when his friends came to see him, it said that they stared at him for seven days in, in awe of how bad it really was. Could you imagine? <laughs> you guys imagine if, Pastor, if you guys heard that Pastor Tim, you know, broke out with some crazy rash on his body and everyone's praying for him, you know, and then, you know, what's your name? Ben? Yeah, so... The word's out on the street, something's happened to Tim, he's sick, he's got a rash, it, we heard it's nasty, Ben's like, I'm going to go take a look at it, and he brings the four deacons with him, and we're going to go pray for Tim, and they show up at the Montrose, is there a hospital, you know there's even a hospital in Montrose? Clio? You got to go to Flint, you got to go to Flint, okay. They head to Flint, they head to Flint, and they show up, and they go, for seven days. No, like, could you imagine that somebody was that physically, that physically inflicted that when they saw him, I mean, you, it doesn't get worse than that, okay? My point is it doesn't get worse than that. Job had a reason to say, God, I'm done. Church is lame. I don't think you're good. I'm going to go be an atheist. <laughs> I'm out of here. If anyone had a right to question God, it was Job. And then what happens in Job 38? A tornado. <laughs> this is real, guys. This is not like a fictional story here. Or is, wait, is it nonfiction? Fiction? It is a fictional story. Wait, fiction means true. No, fiction's fake. This is, this is not a, yeah, this, this is a true story here. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and a tor, I mean, imagine being in the worst season of your life. You're like, God, 
I'm done with you. I'm done with anyone that says they love you. I don't care what anybody says about your goodness. You ruined my family. You took my money. You ruined my business. And I'm literally so sick that people go into a trance when they see me. (laughs) And God shows up in a whirlwind and starts talking to him. When was the last time a tornado talking showed up in your front yard? Hit the basement, and F5 is coming through Flint, and it's God talking. And he goes off on Job for two chapters about how crazy, well, three chapters, how crazy big he is. Job, where were you? And just blows his mind. Where were you when I commanded the morning today to come forth? Where were you, Job, when I shut the doors of a raging? You know, he goes on and on and on. Job. Have you ever commanded lightning to come forth and shout, here I am? And he just goes off on him. And in Job 42, we have this powerful statement that comes out of Job's mouth. I've heard about you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen. Job saw something that changed everything. And I can imagine that Job drastically changed his lifestyle after that. And then in Revelation 1, we have the same exact thing happen to John. He's on the island of Patmos, right? We know the story. And he hears a voice from behind him. He turns, and he sees Jesus (laughs) 2.0. He sees the resurrected man. And this description that I'm about to give you right now is the man that is sitting Right now, on a real throne, really in heaven, who in Hebrews 4, he is praying for Ben. No, no, this is not like, come on, this is real. John turns around and he sees a man walking in the midst of seven lampstands. And this man had eyes like a flame of fire. This is literal here, guys. This isn't isn't symbolic. Eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like bronze refined in a furnace. Out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword, and his voice sounds like mighty rushing waters. He has hair white like wool. And then it says that his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And then I fell as a dead man at his feet. <laughs> And Jesus picks him up and says, hey, do not be scared. And then he takes him into another vision three chapters later. And he sees a throne sitting in heaven. And the one that he saw in Revelation 1 is sitting on the throne. There's an emerald rainbow surrounding his throne. Thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping him. 24 elders, four living creatures. And night and day, day and night, they are on their face casting their crowns, saying, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And that's not the job that they chose to take in heaven. That's not their job description. That is people that sit at the feet of this man. And I'm telling you, when we begin to look up, when we begin to descend above life storms, when we begin to say, I cannot continue to live the way that I'm living, we begin to say, I've got I've to push away some of the distraction. I've got to change my music selection. I've got to change the amount of hours I'm spending watching things that just, I'm not even talking about bad stuff, just stuff that's not really benefiting your life in the Lord. 
We got to get beyond the black and white. You shouldn't watch porn and don't watch radar movies. <laughs> Let's get deeper on this thing. Yeah, that's, that's, yes, duh. Let's get deeper. Anything that is fighting for your attention. And when you begin to close your eyes and you begin to ask the Lord for the Ephesians once, you ask him, don't open your Bible tomorrow morning, just doing the thing you do, pull out the Sarah Young devotional, check it off the list and move on with the day. But Sarah Young's devotional is pretty awesome. And so I'm not, I'm not against it. But what I'm saying is we've got to reposition ourselves. we got to slow down. we got to get that cry in our heart like Psalm 132 that, God, I'll get up at 5 a.m. Because unless if there's a resting place happening in me, then I'm not at rest. Unless if you found a dwelling place at my 5 a.m. before work every day, then I'm not, I am not going to quit until you get there. I'll set my alarm clock a half hour early and you slow down and you're not doing this as a checkoff list. Another thing you do as a Christian, you are opening this word and you're saying, God, before I read this thing, I slow down and I ask that these pages, that the words on this page would leap off these pages to me. God, I ask you, Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God, I ask you, and then what happens is the Lord answers your prayer. And all of a sudden, that one scripture sticks out to you. And three months later, you haven't moved past it. And you're crying. And it's becoming who you are. And it's, and it's bombarding your day. And then naturally, what begins to happen is, is as you begin to touch that tender spot of the Lord's heart, you then just say, you know what? I want to keep carrying capacity for more. I want to keep creating capacity for more. And then naturally, stuff just starts falling off. Am I always this okay? I feel the Lord's heart. Sorry. I can keep going. I'm going to stop right now. And I'm just going to pray and hand it over to Pastor Tim. God, I just thank you. And I would love for you guys to stay second service if you'd like to. We'll probably have a little margin for a slight bit more time. And God, I just ask you, Jesus, that we would fall in love with you in a whole new measure, God. That is this really true? God, we ask you the real question. Is this really true? Are you really up there with eyes like a flame of fire? Are you really making intercession for me every day? God, I ask. I, I, and guys, when I preach this message, I just convict myself. So I'm Because <laughs> I'm the first one to get up tomorrow morning and sit on Instagram for two hours and then go, dang it. I thought I was supposed to be crazy. But I'm the first one to blow it. So God, I just ask for all of us that you give us grace to push past our flesh. God, to resist our patterns. God, to resist our fleshly patterns, God, and that you would deliver us from boredom. God, that when we hit that wall of boredom, God, there we find you. And God, I ask for this church. I thank you, Jesus, for capacity. And God, even as, even as I've been speaking this morning, all the scriptures, you are expanding our capacity. You're expanding our capacity. And God, I just ask that you'd rock their world and I ask that Monday morning would look different than it ever has before. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys next service if, if you're here. Yeah. Let's stand together, guys. And uh, we've uh, been talking about making a dwelling place for God. And uh, just really appreciate what Josh had to share with us today and as we as we close our service we'd like to do another song we have a song that we can do and uh during this song of worship um you know
just that. Oh, there we go. I think it's a great opportunity for us to just sow back into Josh and his family's life. And we'd like to do a love offering this, uh, this morning. If you would like to give something and bless them uh, during this song, we'd like to um, have the ushers come forward. And if you'd like to bless and sow into their ministry, they are full-time missionaries to America. And they're, uh, you know, we want to we love them and bless them too. But as we also take time to worship to this final song, just whatever response that you sense in your heart to make, you know, with this message. If you want to just, again, surrender your, your heart to the Lord, or if you want to come forward and kneel and just, just say, God, I want, I want you. I want more. Um, you know, as, as uh, I was listening to the message, just about the fascination of God that we, and lifting our souls to other falsehoods and looking for other things to give us meaning or happiness or fulfillment and yet God is the ultimate answer always and his presence is the answer for you and his presence is the answer for our world and um but we need to we just need to make room for him don't we and so this morning I'd really encourage you to to do that either at your seat or up up here for a moment during this worship song is to just empty be willing to empty yourself of all other pursuits and just renew your, your, your passion to go after God. I'm with you in this. I, I'm with you. Uh, I need to do the same thing. And because we live in a culture that's constantly showing us all kinds of other alternatives. And, and let's, just, let's just personally, you know, just lean into this message for a few minutes before we go. And say, God, here I am. I just want to have a renewed passion to, to follow after you, to be lifted above all of this other temporary stuff and to see your glory, to experience your glory, to be that dwelling place for you. Lord, as we worship you, God, I pray that you will help each and every one of us right now just to see the, the specifics, Lord, in our lives of, of what this message is talking about. Lord, the other areas that have maybe become busy or clouded or with other things. God, that you would just help each one of us right now in these few minutes just to have clarity of moving forward and how to, how to experience more of you, how to be a host of heaven, how to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, how to hear you, pursue you, to seek you. Lord, just speak to us right now in these few moments as we just get real with you, Lord. And as we individually cry out to you and, and talk with you and respond to you, help us to hear your voice right now. And uh, we lean into you, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's just worship the Lord for this final song. I'll come back uh, after the song. I want to close with our blessing. Ushers, you can come now as well. But please respond uh, in whatever way that you, you are being led to respond.